following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. You know, every private investigator is confronted with confronted sometime in their lives, in their career. It's that inner conflict, that case that haunts. It lacks reconciliation. The pieces just don't fit. And it could be a confession that just didn't ring true, a conviction that wasn't quite right, a clue that was overlooked. It could be just about anything. It comes to the territory. And I'm pleased today to have Maryland private investigator Lynn Levy, my guest, today to discuss this quandary. Lynn H. Levy has over 32 years of investigative experience. She's the owner and president of L.H. Levy Investigations Incorporated. Her agency specializes in the insurance, legal, corporate, and business areas. And employment backgrounds are especially both for corporate employee backgrounds, domestic backgrounds for you folks that... Um, have prospective nannies and adult care provider interests. Lynn comes to us with very solid credentials. She's a former president of the Professional Investigators Alliance of Maryland and is the first recipient of the Alliance's Investigator of the Year. She was the president-elect of the Baltimore National Association of Women Business Owners. She's an active member of the National Association of Legal Investigators where she holds a designation of the acclaimed Certified Legal Investigator designation. In addition, she's an active member of the Baltimore Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. She's appeared on both radio and television, including USA Channel and Fox TV. Well, with all of that, Lynn, welcome. Thank you so much. And I wanted to congratulate you on being the September recipient of the month for, for uh, um, Voice America. Well, thank you very much. I'm extremely honored, I can tell you. And uh, Sandra Rogers, um, my producer, was also featured for the month. And uh, it was a very exciting thing to have happen. Thank you. Great. So, um, so Lynn, first of all, how in the heck did you get in this business? <laughs> well, I went from being a high school Spanish teacher okay. in uh, <laughs> 1979. You can absolutely see that segue, right? I was a uh, teacher, and during my summer vacation, I always looked for something to do. And a man, I didn't actually know him. I knew his wife. Uh, He was a private investigator, and he needed somebody to type for him. Hmm. And I started typing his reports, and all of a sudden, I said to him, I want to do this. And he laughed and laughed, and he said, you will last five minutes on the street. 
Oh, really? (laughs) And so I took that dare, and he gave me a case, a very small case. It happened to be a dog bite case, the mailman, typical mailman, bitten by the dog, and we were representing the insurance company through the, the homeowners. And I had to go out and prove that this dog had not bitten anyone before and was a calm, docile dog. And not only could I do that work, but then I could type it myself. (laughs) And he was thrilled with that whole concept. And I ended up leaving teaching at that time and um, working for him for a few years. And then I decided to work for an insurance company as a claims adjuster did that for a few years, and then I went to a law firm that um, wanted an in-house investigator. Not all states have this. I was in New York at the time. Now, I'm in Maryland, but it was, I was living in New York, and um, the law firm gave, had me be their in-house investigator, working with 25 attorneys and five partners, and that oh was goodness. a challenge. Very much so. Well, let me ask you, were you like me where you didn't even know that private investigator was a business? Oh, yeah. And I, I thought it was a sleazy, disgusting job right. where all you did was follow around cheating spouses. Right. And uh, never had any clue about the business end. In fact, never really did business um, till, mm-hmm. um, till I actually opened my business. Right. <laughs> didn't right. know everything about it at the time. And then when did you open your own business, Lynn? It was in 1984. I first okay. initially had a partner who was a specialist in loss prevention. So we kind of combined those two. In fact, I did a lot of seminars on loss prevention for him, being a teacher, being able to stand up in front of a, a group of people. Mm-hmm. And I wrote lesson plans for that. And we, we did some coursework together. And then eventually I decided I was going to go out totally on my own. He actually moved to... Massachusetts, and I stayed in New York, and then I moved to Maryland in 1991 and started from zero again. So it was and I'm sure that work, having, yeah, having worked with a gaggle of attorneys and all in a law firm certainly prepared you to be out on your own. Right. Well, what happened with the law firm is that the the associate attorneys did most of the work, but the partners uh-huh. were the ones that you had to jump for. So sometimes a partner would ask me to go pick up his dry cleaning because I was able to uh-huh. find, find locations. And uh, yet the, there were major cases coming up. So I had to juggle that also. And of course, that was, I guess that was in the 70s? That was that in right? the 80s. In the, well, that yeah, was in, the was, 80s. in the early 80s, very early 80s. Early 80s. Okay. Yeah, so, and there so, weren't too many women doing it at that yeah. time. Yeah, and it was a different time. It was. I can't imagine the attorney asking you to pick up his cleaning today. No, and um, I don't think sexual harassment had actually been invented yet. And so we had to, you know, we had to be pretty careful about what you did and what you didn't do. But as a teacher, I was, I knew a lot of ways to, to manipulate people, to get them to realize what they were saying might not be totally appropriate. Mhm. Mhm. Okay. So so our topic for today is the haunting inner conflicts that we run into periodically with our cases. Right. And you've had some experiences that you'd like to talk about. 
Right. I have uh, actually a, a few cases that I was started just when I when you asked me to go on the show. I started thinking about, but one in particular actually completed about two years ago, and it basically involved a an alleged rape at a large nightclub in Maryland, very, very large, where hundreds and hundreds of people would come on a Saturday night. A lot of drinking, a lot of um, separate bar areas in this nightclub. And a woman claimed that she had been raped by um, a Hispanic male. She was a white female. And he, the, the rape actually didn't occur even on the premises. I was working on the case on a civil end, the woman sued the bar um, uh-huh. for damages because it was a good deep pocket and it was, she was claiming that there was no security and no, um, no cutting off of people if they had been drinking too much. But so, uh, so all that I actually started out doing it was as a, um, a civil case, taking photos, interviewing people, um, Trying to doing background checks on everybody and every witness that might be coming up, and one of the things that I had to do was to learn about the man that mm-hmm. um, was the alleged rapist, and he had been he had an attorney and he had been already convicted, and he was convicted of rape and sent to maximum security prison for twenty five years in Maryland. And one of my jobs was to interview him. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that I, en- I ended up in, part of the reason is because I do speak Spanish and we thought he didn't speak English and I was going to have to prepare um, to, to interview him, him in Spanish. He spoke English very, very well. He just had an accent and a lot of people have that prejudice. You know, if you have an accent, you don't speak the language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And right. um, I interviewed him twice. And both times he said to me he was drunk, he knew he was drunk, and, but he remembered that, he, that the woman was also drunk. And he said she, and he totally felt that it was a consensual thing. He didn't remember too much about it, but he did remember enough that she was able, that he even lent her, her his cell phone to make some calls, and they were, they were close in the sense of having met that night. Uh-huh. But um, they they didn't know each other before, but they spent quite a bit of time together that night. And um, I tried to get my conflict came because I tried to get our attorney and our law firm to contact the defense, the the, uh, the criminal defense attorney, to see if he could reopen the case because I really and truly didn't feel. That this man, although it, the the actual um, incident happened, I didn't feel that he should be put away for twenty five years, mm-hmm. and there was nothing that I could do. I tried mm-hmm. very hard in all kinds of ways to get this case, his criminal case, reopened, and mm-hmm. I'm still, you know, from time to time, I still work on it. But I even contacted his attorney, and he said, "Oh no, no." It's done. He's in already. Yeah. And, and I felt like, you know, I mean, of course, there's always that, the, the reason that we're conflicted is that there's always that possibility that he did it. Well, and exactly. And, you know, we've taught on previous shows, we've just kind of discussed this subject. And, and 
men have a different perception of what's going on when it's a sex-related um, contact than women do. Right. Often, you know, they they think that they get clues that maybe they don't get. <laughs> you know? Right. And, right. And or they, yeah, they just felt that the um, that the woman um, would be right would be in the right all the time. And, you know, I, don't, I didn't feel it in this case. You know, sometimes I do. Well, but and, I, and you're, with your background, Lynn, you, if you were um, in the loss prevention arena, that means that you have been trained on how to identify deception in an interview. And um, so you're, you were feeling that he was pretty authentic when you talked to him. And see, this man had nothing. He he knew I wasn't working on his behalf when I interviewed him. Mm-hmm. And he knew that he wasn't trying to get me to do anything. He just was talking openly with me. And I really and of course I never had access to the woman because she had her attorney and we never had other than in through depositions. I personally had no a- access to her. So I I did feel that he um he may have been given the raw, wrong end of the deal, mm-hmm. and you know there was just not much more I can do. Could do so just it. just to clarify, he had been charged criminally. He had been right. convicted, and then the woman filed a civil case for damages. Exactly. Then she okay. was right against the bar because it was a uh, deep pocket, and there was and the man had nothing. Mm-hmm. The man had no money. In fact, he mm-hmm. he wasn't even from the Maryland area. But what was interesting in that case was when I interviewed him is that he didn't even know that there was any kind of an attack until he saw it in the newspaper um, two years later when he was, he was actually um, came, returned. He had gone to Florida. He came back, and he learned of the incident, and then he was, um, and then he was indicted. And it just so happened that at that same bar... Right after the incident, a couple of weeks after the incident, he went to the bar again. And there was some kind of a fight that he wasn't involved with, but he, the police interviewed him. Hmm. And um, just because he might, it was hanging around there. And he said, would I have gone back to the bar if I knew mm-hmm. that, that I was going to be charged later? And he said he used to go there just about every week. He knew many of the police officers who were part-time security guards there. He worked at a restaurant where police came, and he never, ever feared that this would happen to him. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, All right. Yeah. Uh, that's, um, <laughs> that's really sad on, on all levels. You know, I mean, if, you know, no matter what part you play on that, it's a right. sad situation. Uh, we're going to take a break. Lynn, that was Marilyn okay. P.I., Lynn Levy, and we'll be, we'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. 
It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's Choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Lynn Levy, a private investigator, has been describing the inner conflicts she's, she's run into that come with the business of private investigation. And Lynn, you had another example, uh, too, of this uh, inner conflict that happens periodically. Right, and I mean, it's it sort of happens more frequently than not. I did I I, I do the criminal investigations in my office, um, mm-hmm. and I was working on a criminal case, and it was criminal defense, of course. And the man who was charged with attempted murder, and <laughs> this I don't know if this is a pattern of me, but it also happened in a bar. <laughs> where there was uh-huh. drinking about. <laughs> but the, <laughs> the interesting thing was that this um, happened on Halloween. As we're coming up to Halloween, you know, you, I'm think, I was thinking about it. And the reason I, that I, I was excited that it did happen on Halloween night was because a lot of people were taking photos mm-hmm. and pictures of each other. And that, that um, looking for the photograph was a major part of my investigation. The man was accused of stabbing not one but two people in a bar on one one part of Maryland. He claimed, and I actually proved through witnesses, that about 45 miles away, he and his friends were at another bar, and that's and there was a costume party bar. Mm-hmm. And but yet, um, somebody at the first bar said they recognized him, and he was. Um, he was charged with attempted first-degree murder, and he um, was very surprised. He said he wasn't there. He tried to prove it. Um, we took signed and recorded statements from numerous people at that bar who said they at the at the bar that he said that he actually was at, forty-five miles away, and we brought one person in after another. Now, none of these people, including our client, were people without criminal records. They all had something, some more major than others. But they were able to come in and state that he um, 
wasn't there. There wasn't a lot of evidence at the bar to, to indicate that he was there other than people saying they saw him at the other place. And my, one of my jobs was to find photographs of him at this bar. Mm-hmm. And the problem was that I could not find one single picture. I contacted as many people as I knew, could. I reviewed all kinds of photos from the owners of the bar who put things up on their website. And I actually went and looked at their photos that didn't go up on the website. And for some reason, we could not find our client. And he was convicted, even though all these um, witnesses said that they knew he was there. And And he also is in prison for many, many years. And these witnesses had were not connected with him in any way? The the witnesses were people that knew him because they mm-hmm. all hang, hung out at these bars. I, I couldn't find too many independent people yeah. who didn't know him because they wouldn't have known his, what he looked like. We were showing his picture around, but he kind of looked like everybody else who, looked, who was at this one bar. Was well, a huge place. Yeah, so we yeah. tried. I mean, the. So the answer is: Did he do it? Actually, was he really at the other place? Mm-hmm. And it, I started thinking, well, maybe he was. And what about the victim? Did he identify your client? Yeah, they knew him, and they said the victim lived, and but also had some kind of grudge against him, and was very happy to make him. Make him uh, the the criminal. And did and what about your client? Did he have a beef against the guy that was stabbed? No, he didn't. He didn't even know why. He had no clue why he was um, being accused. And that's what made me work for really believe him in the first place. You know, sometimes you take a criminal case and um, you're not sure. You know, right. I've done so many, so many criminal cases. I work for one particular lawyer where he usually doesn't hire me if, there, if it's a definite guilt, if, it's a def, if he will get a definite guilty verdict, because mm-hmm. why put the money into it? Mm-hmm. But um, I felt pretty strongly that this guy, was okay. he is appealing the case. And when it comes up again, I probably will get involved, but the appeal process takes a while. It does. And so, Lynn, I know you get asked this a lot, as I do, how, you know, people wonder how in the world somebody can work on a criminal defense case. Right. And um, I, I did have some, um, some problems initially with that, saying, well, does he have, you know, what if he is guilty? Then I'm helping him to get out of, stay out of jail. Uh-huh. And I think... What I finally came to the conclusion is the law, because the law says you are innocent until you're proven guilty, and that everybody is guaranteed a good defense. So if I'm a good investigator, and I work really hard in this case, and he still gets convicted, or she still gets convicted, then did I, I, you know, then I did everything I could to stay within what the law permits. You're not automatically guilty. There's so many cases that are tried in the media. Mm-hmm. Uh, pe- you know, people assume, right. well, yeah, if he was arrested, he's guilty. There has That's to be right. where there's smoke, there's fire. And sometimes there is, but sometimes there isn't. And um, I just feel that I'm doing, 
the best job that I can for the client. There have been cases, of course, where I've developed enough information to realize, well, this guy probably did it. Well, and, and that really uh, is part of the process, isn't it? I mean, that's the, that's the part that I believe that the majority of people don't understand is when you're hired by somebody, um, first of all, you, you typically don't know the facts of the case. You don't know anything about the client. Right. You don't know anything until you re- start reading the police reports. And then you're just simply out to gather facts. And sometimes they sway one way and sometimes they sway another. Right. And if you don't have that attitude, if you go with the attitude like, I'm going to get him off no matter what, then you're compromising your ethics. Right. You have to go with the facts, dig as much as you can. Now, of course, you know, there have been a few cases where I've gone to my attorney client, to the attorney, and I said, this is what I'm coming up with. Mm-hmm. And he goes, okay, well, why don't you just stop right now mm-hmm. and we'll see. Let me talk to the client. And then if the client, and then he decides, well, maybe you've presented enough that we could plea the case. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing, too. You know, if he can um, get fewer years in prison for, for the crime because uh, we found, what, because of what we found, or, you know, the guy finally says, yeah, well, this is what happened, because... Well, and in your area, in your area, Lynn, do you um, do your district attorneys or prosecutors typically overcharge the case or charge it every way they can, so that when there is a plea, um, that they probably are getting what they should have gotten to begin with? <laughs> well, I think that sometimes they don't, particularly in our lower court. Sometimes they don't even see the case till that day, mm-hmm. and. I don't think, that many, many times, I think that the district attorneys aren't as prepared as we are. They okay. see it or they'll say, oh, yeah, well, I'll just bring in a couple of police officers and they're going to be fine. And we can impeach certain people. We do a background check, not so much on police, but we do a background check on all of the um, the witnesses that will that are going to be up here because sometimes... Mm-hmm you find uh, that they've been convicted for, for um, crimes that, can, that you're allowed to bring in. For instance, if you're lying would uh-huh. be um, a good impeachable crime, and they have to have a guilty verdict. But we do, we do background checks. So I feel that sometimes no, they, don't do a, they don't do the right kind of investigation and they're, they're so backed up. They have so many cases mm-hmm. piled up. If you go to court, you see, especially for preliminary, you see them with piles of files. And they just you know, have to get through one after another after another. And sometimes right. the people are very young. And, yeah. um, you know, they're just trying to do a good job. I'm not, I'm not saying that they're not doing a good job. It's just that I feel that sometimes... Um, they're just overworked and don't just don't have time to prepare the way we do. Well, and I and you have to, I guess you have really have to consider all the roles of the various parties. the The police department's role is to get enough evidence to take to the DA. Does right. it mean that they have interviewed everybody? 
it doesn't mean that they have, for example, they wouldn't have, uh, if, if your client said they weren't there, they were someplace else and they had that information, where they were, they wouldn't have that information. Uh, and so the job of the private investigator is, on a criminal case anyway, it seems to me, that we go out and redo the interviews the police have done. Sometimes people will talk to us more than they'll talk to the police. That right. isn't always true, but sometimes. And, and report back and, and develop other possible witnesses that maybe the police didn't have contact with. Right, and then the police are also overworked. They have many, many cases to work on. I might right. be working on a, say I have a um, caseload of, say, 30 files, and not all of them are very active immediately. Yeah. Um, and some I can get done in one day and some I can't. But as far as criminal cases go, um, we, don't, we don't have that pile of cases. And um, I can also work. It's, I don't have to work my shift. That right. I wish I could. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. there are many times when I have to interview. Last week I had to interview a witness at 10 o'clock at night. Hang on to that thought. Like, hang on to that thought, Lynn. We need to take another break, but I want to come back to that. That's the voice of private investigator Lynn Levy. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to PI's Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. You're listening to licensed private investigator Lynn Levy. Lynn, you were just saying that you were going to interview somebody at 10 o'clock at night. How did that come about? Okay. Well, <laughs> unfortunately, I can't create the schedule if somebody, if I need to interview somebody and they work 
they start at the say they start working at ten o'clock at night and they won't see me before, or that's when they're done working, and sometimes it's even later than ten o'clock. That's when I go. If I need to see a police officer who works a midnight shift, I could either see him at midnight or I could see him at seven in the morning. I usually prefer seven in the morning because I'm an early riser. I don't like to work outside my office late late at night, but when you have to, you do, and that's one of the um, I would say maybe less glamorous aspects of private investigation. People mm-hmm. think it's such an exciting job, but when they are at home and they're watching TV or they're relaxing with their families and I have to be up and dressed and out and drive perhaps an hour, which is what happened last week, to interview somebody. And then also sometimes the person doesn't show up. So right. you've driven that hour <laughs> and yeah. it has to happen again then because they didn't show up that one time. So, um, and you, you know, you call, oh, I forgot. So, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so, Lynn, well, that brings me to what, t- tell me what qualities you think you need to be a private investigator. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll give you my main thing. When I, <laughs> when I hire somebody, I don't really care if they have experience because what kind of experience would they have? I mean, they may have a degree in criminal justice, but. That isn't really, I don't do constant criminal work. I ask them a few questions. One of them is, have you ever done a jigsaw puzzle? Like maybe with a thousand pieces. Mm. And if they answer, I've started them, but after a little bit, I hate it and I quit. That isn't the Mm. kind of person that I want. I think you need to be... An organized person, I think you need to be able to say, I'm going to keep digging till either there's no more money and I can't do it anymore, or I'm just totally out of ideas. Mm-hmm. And if you have that quality, the other one is being able to speak to people of all ages. Um, the reason I got into the criminal work was I, my first case was actually with a gang, the um, is it MS-13 it's a big mm-hmm. gang, That's a gang here. Yeah. And, I ha- and they were teenagers, though. They were like pre-gang people. And I right. had to interview a bunch of teenagers. And um, they wanted somebody who was not a police officer, somebody who was able to talk to teenagers, um, know how to gauge whether they're telling the truth or not, and then also get them to agree to talk to me. And that's how I started. So I think you need to be able to talk to young people, old people, men, women, people of all races, people with different um, ideas than you have. You know, I, and always, and how, do you, how do you do that, Lynn? How do you get people to talk to you? Um, I always go in with the attitude that they're going to talk to me, that I have a right to talk to them and that... I'm not going to strong arm them and that I'm going to sit down. Sometimes I say, I only need five minutes of your time. Mm-hmm. Very honestly, hardly any interview takes five minutes. It usually mm-hmm. takes an hour. Sometimes it takes more. But, but once they agree to sit down and give me a few minutes, another thing I've done is sometimes I go, I, I have a policy that I will not eat or drink anything that anyone offers me <laughs> if I go to their home. Mm-hmm. And then I, not that I, not that it's a terrible thing, but I just don't. But if I, if they do ask me, would you like a glass of water? I sometimes ask if I could have a cup of hot tea. 
Mm-hmm. And the reason I do that is because tea takes a while for the water to boil, and then it takes me at least 10 or 15 minutes before I could even take one sip. It's so hot. <laughs> and I feel that I have the people there um, captured. <laughs> They're a captive audience for mm-hmm. a little while. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I try that. Um, there are times, of course, that somebody will say, I'm not talking to anybody, and they'll slam the door in your face. Sometimes I'll ask them, you know, it's such a beautiful day. Why don't you just sit outside on the steps with me for a couple of minutes? So if they come outside and they're sitting with you, and they, they're obviously going to give you a little bit more time. Right. Yeah. And, and so how do you get people to talk to you? I, I don't, I come on a little bit softer than I might even, might even be with my, in, in my real life. Um, I try to make people feel important that, that what they're going to tell me is going to help win a case or lose a case, depending on what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes for, say, a civil case, let's say, let's just take a regular accident case because everyone mm-hmm. out there ha- at one time or another has said, I am a witness to this accident. Mm-hmm. First of all, are they really a witness or did they just hear the crash and then look? But if they really were a witness, I try to appeal to their sense of um, being a good citizen. Mm-hmm. Are you, you know, if you were hurt or if somebody was in an accident, wouldn't you want people to come to your aid? Well, you know, this would be important. Or they'll say to me, I'll talk to you, but I'm not going to court. Well, I always tell them I can't promise that because I'm not the lawyer. Right. Um, I will do everything I can to take a statement from you or an affidavit, but I won't, I can't promise you. And of course, the case doesn't come up the next week. It comes up later, months, or a year or two later. And they actually forgot that they told me they weren't going to come. And then we subpoena them anyway. And they right. have to come to court. Yeah, they have to come then. Yeah, and, and it, it is a difficult situation because people do do not like to get subpoenas. Even even if they're being cooperative, they don't like to get subpoenas. They don't like to go to court. Uh, and it is often an uncomfortable situation. Right. Well, the other thing is that I usually am not the person subpoenaing them. Unless, right. unless I have the subpoenas right then and there and hand it to them. Um, which happens occasionally if, we, if we're close to coming to court. And I develop some witnesses and we just subpoena them on the spot. My husband actually runs the process-serving division of our company, and he's the one who gets his people to subpoena them or to, really? to, to serve them. And so I, unless, unless I have to, and then he'll say, you know, if you have any questions, why don't you give Lynn a call or call the attorney? And, you know, but, and, we'll call, and we have to get their phone numbers so that if the case gets postponed, which happens very often, we have a way of reaching them. So if, I, if the people don't give me a phone number immediately, which I almost try to, I try exclusively to do, right. um, then we'll have to get it later on. And all of those things come from years of experience. I'm, right. I'm, I'm sure right. you remember the time that you didn't get a phone number oh, and needed goodness. to reach somebody, and then, then, you know, what do you do? And I remember the time recently, not, not too many years ago, where we started taking cell phone numbers because you could text the person, or emails. When I first started, uh, there were no computers, let alone 
emails. Right, right. So I couldn't, I couldn't receive a case, nor could I get a email a report. I had to mail the report or bring it over to the attorney's <laughs> office. <laughs> when I first started, people just had no clue, <laughs> no right. copiers, no anything. And and now many people don't even have home phones; they only have a cell. Phone. They just have their cell phones. Yeah, yeah and, but I like true. when people give me their cell phone because if they, if I really do need them, I'll text them. Yeah, and it's easier. I mean, it's, it's, it's they'll be more responsive. It's not that it's easier. So, Lynn, do you have another case where you felt like you were uh, conflicted as well? Well, I have a case that was kind of interesting. It happened to be a premarital, sort of. The parents hired me because they didn't, they felt that their, the prospective son-in-law was not up and up. The woman met him, their daughter met him in, on, um, on the phone. He claimed that he was owned a chain of vending machine companies. And he serviced West Point, which was the the um, the, our, the uh, military academy. Mm-hmm. And he, he, she was a clerk, so she would talk to him and set up appointments for him to come and work on these machines. And when I did this background check, oh, and she, he never ever invited her to his home. He always went to her home. And they, mm-hmm. the parents thought this was a little bit odd. Turned out that the man was not an owner of vending machine companies. He was the person who filled the coffee vending oh machines. <laughs> and he um, was living in a little trailer with no hot, uh, no um, hot water. And I think it did have running water, but cold water. I don't know what the bathroom was like. I didn't go in there. And I put together a very detailed report, and the parents took this report and were afraid to tell their daughter. Mm. And this is where my conflict came in. They wanted me to tell the daughter. Um. And they, they said, but don't tell her you really did this investigation. Just tell her some other things just to make her think more. And mm-hmm. I started thinking, am I an investigator or a therapist? Yeah. And I decided that um, I'm not a therapist. Mm-hmm. I have a daughter who's a therapist. Call her. I <laughs> will provide the report, but it's up to the the people who receive the report, the client, what they do with that report. Yeah. And I didn't. I honestly did not feel that I needed to incur the wrath of their daughter because they were afraid to. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was probably another kind of conflict. Well, it is a conflict, and you know, um, you get in you get into this profession because you want to help people, and we don't, you know, we never get calls unless there's a problem. (laughs) So, right, unfortunately, (laughs) yeah, it always starts out at that place, and so we have a problem. We want to help people, and you you want to help them, and you. Of course, and you want to make it right, but I can. But that's definitely. Uh, I think you made the right call as far as yeah. I can tell. Yeah, and that was that was actually just a couple of years, maybe three years into my career, and I, I, I when I actually, the way that I know that when I do something right is how do I feel afterward? 
um, I don't like to second guess myself all the time when I'm working, but if I feel okay about it and I say, that's what I should have done, then I know that I did the right thing. And the parents, in a way, uh, agreed with me. They that were just scared to talk to that's, their daughter, who yeah. was an adult. She wasn't. A, she was in her yeah. 20s. So. Yeah, it's the gut check. Okay, another break. More to come with Marilyn Investigator Lynn Levy. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. I'm back with today's guest private investigator Lynn Levy. And Lynn, I wanted to ask you what you would recommend to people who are interested in hiring a private investigator. What should they look for? Well, one thing that I would say is don't necessarily go with the cheapest person. Absolutely. Um, I think that you do have a right when you're hiring those to ask them what their fees are, um, what they what they would do for those fees. Um, most investigators have an hourly rate, a mileage rate, and pass through databases or anything like that. Um, one of the finest things that I have learned from another investigator is don't automatically say, this is what this case is going to cost you. Because mm-hmm. first of all, you don't know. Mm-hmm. Also, you don't know what their budget is. And so sometimes I'll say to the person, what is your budget? Right. And when they give me that budget, then I know what I can do up to that amount. And what I usually say is, look, I'll do this, this, and this. It'll probably eat up your whole budget, and I'll give you a report with suggestions for further investigation. Mm-hmm. And That's then they good. can decide, or, they'll, or at that point they'll say, no, you might as well do everything. Um, I'll give you a bigger budget. 
The other thing that I do in, with private clients, I don't do this with law firms, and sometimes I live to regret that, but with private clients, um, even if they have an attorney, but they're the ones who are paying me, I um, have a contract. And they have to, before I'll do any work, they have to sign that contract. And it's, mm-hmm. it spells out what I'll do that I don't promise results in the way that they want it. I right. try, but uh, they have to um, understand that we don't know when we first take a case what's out there. I can predict sometimes if I have to interview, say, 20 people on a case, civil mm-hmm. or criminal, I can predict how long it might take me. And people say, well, you'll go to this location. They all live in a few, <laughs> within a few blocks of right. each other. <laughs> And, you know, in an hour or two, you'll knock it out. And you know that that's not true. You know that, first of all, not everybody's going to be home. You don't know what the weather is like. You don't know um, how long each interview is going to take. So I kind of know based on my experience. The other thing I am not afraid is giving referrals. If people are saying, people call me up and they don't know what to do. Uh-huh. I will say, well, I can give you a few referrals. I'll give them some law firms, and um, they can call those law firms if they want. Um, what I don't like is when people are looking for an investigator, and they'll go to what we used to call the yellow pages in the phone book, but now they'll go online, and they'll uh-huh. look for somebody. Uh-huh. And they start, because I can tell when I receive a call, I can tell if people are shopping. Sure. Or <laughs> if, if they're calling me. Yeah. And I'll usually say, look, this, you know, I'll talk to them for a few minutes. Sometimes I talk to them actually a longer period of time. And I'll say, look, I understand you're, you know, it's a lot of money for what I'm, you want to do. Um, this is what I'm thinking it might cost. Mm-hmm. So, and this is based on my experience and that I know what I'm doing. Why don't you call some other people? You have my phone number. Get back to me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I never hear from them again. Right. And sometimes they call me back and they'll say, you know, you spoke logically, you were sound intelligent, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, that might be what you need to do. Now, one thing that would be important, and most states now, most states in, in the uh, United States are licensed. Right. And, and that, that would be another thing to tell them to make sure the person they're talking to is a licensed investigator. Is licensed and is, um, right, and... Um, maybe maybe belonging to, like we both belong to the National Association of Legal Investigators. That is an organization that is is very professional. Exactly. And, you know, if you belong to that organization, well, then you probably could be considered a professional investigator. Um, I think you would. I would say, yeah. Yeah, I would say that's true. Those investigators that belong to NALI, National Association of Legal Investigators, have to be vetted. They have to have a certain amount of experience under their belt. I can't remember. I think it's is it three years. I think so. I yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah, but like <laughs> just like and then that um, certification that you talked about, the certified legal investigator. Which congratulations, you have, and I think it's so wonderful. Thank you. Um, it really you have to do a lot of work to get that certification. So if you don't know what you're doing, I don't think they'll give it to you. And um, so that's another um, another thing that I try to tell people is that I've worked very hard in this business. I've been around a very long time. Probably it's time to retire. 
But <laughs> <laughs> well, don't say that. <laughs> it's, not that, it's not that time yet. But, you know, the, what you were talking about, the Certified Legal Investigator um, uh, designation, you know, that was an amazing process of, of study and then just an all-day test. I mean, a written test, an oral test, a practicum that was very intense. Exactly. Uh, I remember when I took my test, I took it in Houston, Texas, and I was studying on the plane. I had studied for a long time, and then I was like cramming more on the plane, and I went up to um, one of the uh, employees at the airport and said, I need a quiet place to study. This is very important. <laughs> and they, they gave me the building that incoming military could use. But there, was no in, there were no incoming military people at that time. I was, and I sat in this huge, huge building, but it was absolutely silent and uh, studied because you really need to, you can't, you can't wing a test like that. Yeah, no, <laughs> no way. And I can tell you, I, I've spent few more stressful days <laughs> than that day. Exactly. Uh, but it was uh, an amazing process, and I highly recommend. Um, so what we're talking about, people, if you don't know about this organization, if you're a private investigator or, or wanting to be a private investigator, it's the National Association of Legal Investigators. You can look for it online. Um, if you want to be a member, there are applications online that you can fill out and submit. So uh, it's a it's a great organization of of plaintiff investigators, civil plaintiff, and criminal defense investigators. So, okay. So, um, do you have any other tips you want to pass on, and all your experience? Um, I would say one thing: if you're an investigator, or you're just or you're just out and about, if you enter a place, you enter an apartment building, you enter um, a shopping center, or any place, and you don't feel comfortable, I would say um, leave. No case is that important. I may come back later at another time. Usually, because I'm a teacher, if somebody confronts me and I don't feel comfortable, I will say something like, um, oh, I thought I'm supposed to be tutoring somebody. I think I'm in the wrong building. Bye. And then I'll come back at another time. Because, no, I, I would say that just being careful is a very, very good, good piece of advice for the layperson as well as the investigator. Be aware of your surroundings, right? Very much. Yeah. Very much. Okay. All right, Lynn. You've been a delightful guest. Thank you so much for being on the show. We are at the end of our hour. Um, But I do want to say, if you are interested in advertising on PIs Declassified, you can contact my wonderful producer of this show, Sandra Rogers, and she's at Sandra, S-A-N-D-R-I dot Rogers, R-O-G-E-R-S, at voiceamerica.com. And Voice America is one word. So guests for our upcoming weeks, um, we have a pretty interesting lineup, California PI, Dr. William Schneed, Regarding the Santana shooter, speaks out. California PI Wendy Bignall, process serving, catch me if you can. And Dr. Dorothy McCoy, who we've had before, a delightful guest. Anger, it's a choice. So um, 
We're very interested. And then don't forget, um, we're doing our Gift of Exoneration series in December for featuring exonerees of people that have been serving time in prison and have been released because they're innocent. So we'll be having that for the month of December. So tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified.